Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, 2022, makes Moonfall after Yang. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both will have to pick a number between one and ten in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I watched both the movies that we're covering today on my cool little red sunglasses. Yeah, and I'm Adam Thomas. And uh, does anybody really give a shit about uh, Michael Pena? I like Michael Pena. I don't know what, what, what's, what's this anti-Michael Pena sentiment coming from. Oh, I, I don't think Roland ever collects Michael Pena. Well, that's true. That's true. We'll get into that uh, with uh, our two movies that we're going to be covering today. Because if you're new to the show, uh, every week Adam and I cover a good and a bad movie we pick at the end of the previous episode. And uh, on the previous episode, which was our last one of uh, 2022, which uh, officially happy 2023, everybody. The yeah, usual. Yeah. Hope it's all right. Yep. <laughs> Hope yep. It's, yep that's all we can do but the before we go into 2023 officially we gotta look back at them because you know every six months or so we talk about movies that came out within a particular year uh and you know we did this back in july for the first half of 2022 and uh now that 2022 has wrapped in terms of movies uh what did you think overall of uh, the year in film i think it's a pretty good year man i think it's one of the stronger years for uh I feel like I've been saying this the past couple of years, but this year too, uh, real strong year for genre films again. But I'm so uh, comic book movied out and shit like that. But for like you know A24 stuff and you know Blum House and a lot of really cool little genre films, It'd be it horror, or sci-fi. There's a couple of really good ones, or you know like f- epic fantasies like The Northmen, stuff like that. Pretty good fucking year, and I, I actually got to see quite a bit this year. So it, it was you know pretty fun. I guess. I don't know. Fuck. What do I know, man? Uh, usually by the time we do one of these wrap-ups, you're, you tend to say that you haven't seen as much within a particular year. Right? You tend to yeah, be that, kind of like, oh, I'm not as caught up necessarily. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I've seen everything, but pretty much whatever has come out on physical media I've seen this year that I wanted to anyways. Yeah, you're not some freak who watches so many movies in a particular year that they have a lot to say about, <laughs> particularly in 2022, the 113 films they might have seen so far from the year. What kind of freak would do that? Yeah, or a weird freak who watches everything a certain actor is in just because he's going to talk about it or something. <laughs> fucking... <laughs> Raps, you imagine perhaps. that dork? Yeah, right, that kind of dork. Uh, but no, yeah, I think it's, you kind of mentioned this, like, the last couple of years, I think, have been really interesting years in film. Um, and despite, you know, everything else around us having kind of like slowly degrading necessarily, uh, at least in film wise, there's been a lot more, I think, especially interesting stuff with, with this year. It feels like uh, not just I agree with you about the genre stuff, but also it was a great year for animation. It was a great year for, I think, especially the movies themselves kind of coming back. Like that's been sort of the thing ever since like post vaccines uh, for COVID. We've had a lot of people that are just trying to like 
you know, that have been championing like the movies are back kind of thing in terms of like film Twitter circles and stuff. But I feel like this feels like the year where the movie sort of more came back with like a vengeance, particularly just the massive success of like a Top Gun Maverick or even something like Everything Everywhere All at Once, not only just being like a critical darling, but making like a hundred million dollars. It feels like movies might be much more back than we would have anticipated back in like 2020. Yeah, but to be fair, back in 2020, I wasn't anticipating anything except just hopefully waking up the next day. <laughs> right, that's true. The low bar, but we yeah. went right well above it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah, and I think uh, also just in terms of like a recurring trend, I really noticed it feels like there's been a lot more sort of embrace of some of like what we're talking about, some of the genre elements. We're like, we're in the middle of Oscar season right now. And there's been a lot more talk about movies that came out like in the first half of the year than there usually is. Because like Oscar movies, it tends to be like, oh, whatever came out in like November and December. It's not even as much of the case. There's been a lot more like movies have kind of had like a stain power that they haven't had in the last couple of years, which is like stuff that, oh, you know, um, some like Top Gun Maverick, like I mentioned, or um, even as far back as like a Turning Red or RRR being like weird breakout hits and stuff like that. It feels like movies have had certain movies had a much bigger, like sustained power than they have. And especially in a modern world where like streaming also has felt like it's had a reckoning with a lot of things like the HBO max stuff. And even Netflix has kind of like been, you know, kind of shifting away from uh, like weird projects and have just been like, kind of like milling out like more of the traditional stuff that they've been doing as time has gone on. It feels like, uh, especially that there's a lot more stuff that's kind of like crawled through what we've been getting as of recent and kind of like been breakout hits despite, you know, the glut of what we get like on a weekly basis from streaming stuff. Yeah, man. Morbius got a second release. That's true. It was Morbid time. It was truly <laughs> it was Morbid, Morbid time, time this year. Yep. Yes. 100%. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about two movies that we picked at the end of the last episode, though. Uh, our bad pick was chosen not just by Adam, uh, who had the choices, but also our patrons over at patreon.com slash DEDBpod voted uh, for this particular bad pick of Moonfall, which we'll be talking about. And then uh, the good pick uh, was one that I had of After Yang. Two interesting, we, we kind of like realized there's a lot more in common with these two films with like their sci-fi movies that deal with artificial intelligence and also ones that came out, especially earlier in the year, kind of a, yeah. referencing like the sustainability necessarily uh, that we were talking about earlier. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and talk about first Moonfall. July 20th, 1969. In school, you were taught that Apollo 11 lost contact with the world for two minutes. Not true. They found something on that day that they kept hidden for 50 years. And now, it's too late to stop. Breaking news, the governor has just ordered the mass evacuation of the entire West Coast. Moving to higher ground is the only possible chance of surviving. Are we dead? No, we are just inside the moon. That might be the greatest sentence anyone's ever said. So Moonfall uh, came out February 4th, 2022 from director, co-writer Rowan Emmerich, uh, who we've talked about 
interestingly, uh, like Independence Day Resurgence and oh. uh, Stargate on the show, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, I think both kind of fit like that. The Stargate was like pre his like big known for thing of like the disaster film, which really kicked off with like the first Independence Day and really was a stronghold on like that kind of genre until I would say about like 2012 was like the last one that I think people really gave a shit about. Um, that was yeah, I'd say so. very successful. Yeah. And then yeah. after that, it just uh, really nosedived until Independence Day Resurgence was his last one that was like a real failure. And then this one, which didn't even have like a major studio behind it. This is actually with its $146 million budget, the uh, most expensive independent film that's ever existed because they got a lot of money from like several different production companies or like various foreign countries, like Chinese production companies, some German ones. And uh, it ended up being um, the biggest box office bomb of the year, making mm-hmm. $67 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a logical reason behind that. Um, it's fucking stupid. Like mouth agape watching this, thinking to myself, what was the plan here? Like, what What if this was a, a huge success? Like, where are you going to go with this? Like, it's just, it's so dumb. And some of the lines and some of the dialogue in this movie, I mean, just laugh out loud. Sonny, look, the moon's going to help us. <laughs> oh, no, the moon's going to go super crazy, I think. Like, there's also, like, the stuff about uh-huh. gravity. Because, like, if, we yep. should probably say, most people vaguely remember this was a thing back in February. So, uh, if you are unaware, uh, Moonfall um, basically follows a situation where um, we initially see a flashback to 2011, in which our um, great astronaut uh, sort of work couple of Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry are on a mission uh, when all of a sudden, uh, while they're in space, a giant cloud of like weird sort of like black like masses that's moving around uh, storms right past him, ends up killing their third guy. And uh, as a result, Patrick Wilson gets blamed and is thrown out of NASA. And then we cut to 10 years later, uh, in which uh, it turns out that that giant mass burrowed into the moon. And now the moon's orbit is off. So it is propelling itself toward Earth. And we follow not just Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry, uh, but also several different characters in this big ensemble, uh, including uh, John Bradley of Game of Thrones as this weird conspiracy theorist guy who ends up being absolutely 100% correct about the Earth being a hollow construct. Um, And then Michael Pena plays the uh, new husband of uh, Patrick Wilson's ex-wife. And uh, there's also Sonny who you kind of mentioned earlier, who is the estranged son of Patrick Wilson. Uh, Donald Sutherland shows up briefly in a baffling oh, sort of great. cameo. I mean, not even two minutes. Yeah. Not even two minutes and he gets top billing. Not top billing. I mean, not He's top on. billing. Not, he not gets like the billing. and. He gets like the and credit, I he, think. He de- well, he, no, he definitely gets, uh, you know, it's like Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry, uh, what's his name, Game of Thrones, Michael Pena, Donald Sutherland. Like he's fourth or fifth billed. Right, <laughs> for barely any screen for time. It's a very funny scene. <laughs> that scene also, because like it's he's in one scene in which Halle Berry is like investigating down like the basement of NASA, where I guess Donald Sutherland lives or something, because yeah. he's just down where he glues like, on his sideburns every morning. Right, and he just like comes up in a wheelchair, just like, oh, you thought Apollo Eleven lost contact with NASA? Wrong. It's a big conspiracy that has been we've been hiding for decades about the moon actually being hollow. All right, anyway, bye. And the back and forth between him and Halle Berry, they are so clearly not in the same room 
and even the oh, sets obviously. do not look like they're the same place on either no, side. Not at all. I mean, not at all. It's just that. Well, that you run into that a lot in this movie, though, where mm-hmm. people are just not together. Like it's obvious, and it's just it's so dumb. It's not forgettable. I want to say that it's not a forgettable bad one. Like no. if anybody brings up Moonfall, like, yeah, I remember that fucking thing. It's just what the big twist and reveal, which I, I will try not to spoil it, just because it is a newer movie. No, we 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 usually like we should say like spoilers abound for both these movies. I would argue. Okay, well then I'm spoiling. Like, right why now. are you so worried about spoilers for Moonfall of all things? Be- because man, that twist. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me with this? That this this that ridiculous fucking bo- Ooh, actually uh duh, your uh, forefathers were uh, super geniuses and super far advanced billions of years ago and uh, they actually created an AI which is basically like an Alexa in everybody's house that uh, became self-aware and that killed out all living organisms. Well, you're doing the nerd voice, but the big crux of this is that they like present this through Patrick, the younger version of Patrick Wilson's son, which is some so of the it's, worst dialogue reading ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to harsh on a kid's acting, but also, why did you give a child like that exposition to give? I have like that's no not idea. fair to a kid. No, it should have been his <laughs> wife or ex-wife or something. Right. Anything. Yeah, that poor kid. Even even Donald Sutherland make him earn that check a bit more. He just shows up in space. Anyway. So we've been covering up. This is the biggest cover up that mankind's ever produced. Uh, yeah, one of the fuck. <laughs> what? And just this horrible conspiracy theorist mega structure bullshit. And how many times is Elon Musk going to be either directly name dropped or referenced? Yeah, John Bradley says multiple times just how much he loves Elon, which in February that was already like, oh, that's not cool at all. And now it's even worse. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely already like a uh, maybe can that a little bit. Maybe don't say that out loud. It was already a red flag, but now like in by the end of 2022, it's like a massive giant flag that's crimson red. Yeah, yeah now it's like no, fuck no. It's literally blood red with by Twitter employees. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, but yeah, it's, there's that. And then like Halle Berry, Academy Award winning actress, she does not give a shit about being in this movie. Clearly, uh, to the point where they even left in like line flubs and stuff that she would just forget lines of dialogue and they just kept it in the movie. Patrick Wilson, God love him, but man, is he not a cape strong leading man? And and this, you know, obviously in The Conjuring, he's great and everything, but it's more of your Famiga show or you could say a, an ensemble idea. And I guess this one kind of is, but just nobody's on the same page. Like, as much as I don't like the character, the conspiracy theorist character, <laughs> That, that dude's going for it at least. Yeah, he's Bradley's the only like one who's like, I'm, to bit, I'm yeah. gonna, yeah, I really want to make this work. Uh, everybody else just doesn't give a fuck. Whoever the guy is that plays Halle Berry's hus- ex husband is like the most bored guy. He's so bored. He's I, no, so I would bored. submit the most bored person in this movie, though, is weirdly Charlie Plummer, who plays Sonny. Who you would figure like, oh, you're like a young kid in like one of your bigger roles at this point. You'd figure like this is like a breakout thing you'd want to do, but he is like dead inside. <laughs> so so is Michael Pena. Michael Pena is just like, I don't care. I don't and also he has probably I'd say Michael Pena and then the um girl that's traveling with Sonny 
are probably the two most nothing characters in the entire movie. I mean, I would argue Kelly Yu as Michelle is the most nothing character where they got literally like a Canadian Chinese pop star to like basically have this. Is that what she is? is so unnecessary. Yeah, I didn't literally. know. I didn't know that. Right. Which I think is mainly because of like the amount of Chinese money that went into this movie <laughs> is kind of having like a prominent Chinese character. There's also a few references like, oh, our Chinese pals helped us out with the space thing or whatever. Oh, yeah, there's it's definitely like, a lot of that. And then look at my kanji tattoo. And like, oh, God. Right, right. But especially like with her, it was this weird thing where like she's introduced as like she lives with Halle Berry as like a foreign exchange student who's like also a nanny. Who's yeah? Who's also teaching her son Chinese? Right, right. But yeah. I, the moment she was introduced, I almost thought like, are her and Barry like a couple? Because that would make way more sense for this living arrangement instead of no, I'm a foreign exchange student who's also a nanny, and she has a completely different like. Because you only mentions that she's married in the opening scene. It would have been way better, or it would have been like you know that's why her her ex husband is so bitter towards her because she ended up having an affair or something, anything, anything, instead of just the most one note, hi, I'm going to read a kanji tattoo and flirt with this guy who does not give a shit, (laughs) and then uh, I'm going to have some really bad dialogue and try to lift a tree, and that's about all you're going to get from me. (laughs) The moon's going to go crazy right now. (laughs) The moon's going to go crazy right now. (laughs) The moon's helping us. Um yeah, the moon's helping us. Yes, there's yeah, yeah. like that. I, I'm curious. I'm so like we previously said we're not necessarily fans of Roland Emmerich's like films in general. Yeah, would you no. say this is like on the worser echelon, or like how would you say like in terms of bad Roland Emmerich disaster movie? Like, would you say this is lesser than a lot of those? Or, or I'd say it's in the near the bottom. I'd say it's in the bottom tier. I don't think it's the worst by any means. The Independence Day Resurgence is the worst. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's no question. <laughs> uh, but this is. This is bad, but it's so, like, it's so fascinatingly bad. Like, in a pay to stay resurgence, you know, it sucks for so many levels because it's just basically a rehatch of the first movie and then it tries to rely on sort of fan devotion, which isn't there, really. And it just, you know. And also trying to build a universe around Independence Day, like, so late in the game. Really stupid. This is so perplexingly dumb and just. How did they? I mean, obviously, a bunch of different produce production companies got involved, and that's how they got their funding and everything. But it's just—it's such a weird fucking idea, the whole thing, that it's kind of like fascinating. And like I said, and I, I do want to bring up Michael Penny again, real quick. Maybe my favorite demise to a character all year, um, where he just—you left right. Uh, and the very next scene is, look, the air is coming back. If you had just held on just for a little on. bit longer. Five, five more seconds, dude. You would have been all right. Literally, Michael Pena's soul is going up to heaven, just like, ah, oh, fuck, literally, really? Literally, he's going up as the air is coming back. Ah, oh. But it's like, what happened? Where's, what is his name? John, I think, in the movie? I don't remember. Uh, Tom. Tom Lopez. Yeah, where's Tom? She just shakes her head. Oh, I'm sorry. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) By the way, those are not his kids. Those are not 
Michael Petty has kids. No, not in at all. No yeah. way are those kids biracial. Uh, yeah, I don't they care how white and blonde the wife is. That that does not. There's not an ounce of Michael Pena DNA in there. No, no, dude, those are white fucking kids. Oh, but see, my so favorite example of that is like near the end of the movie when Halle Berry's talking to her son and he says like, "We never made it to daddy," and then Halle Berry says, "That's okay." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. And then also the reoccurring like thing with the guys trying to rip rob him and they're chasing after him because also they they figure out the fucking thing about the oxygen tanks. And the one uh, who is might be the most unattractive man I've ever seen uh in the pickup truck dies and she's well we gotta go back for forget him <laughs> just keep going it's so fucking stupid it's so stupid and like you said this this plumber kid the problem is they take they spend way too much time with these kids yeah like way too much time you don't care i do not care not one bit about these kids walking then being in cars then being held up and then dealing with the the woman at the front of their gated community named karen which okay <laughs> get the joke it's just it's so fucking stupid and yeah it's a fifty thousand dollar a year lawyer on retainer he runs a lexus dealership how the fuck can they have, can he afford this and Patrick Wilson is getting evicted and all this stuff, but he's still got like a fridge full of shit beers. He's got a fucking classic Mustang and supposedly a real cool bike that he tries to just bribe a judge with in open court. And also he's supposed to be like completely like disheveled and just like, oh, I'm at it. But it's like Patrick Wilson just didn't shave that morning. Yeah, <laughs> just like, didn't shave. And now he's got like a sexy stubble. Right. Like, <laughs> like, Let's just be like, oh, I'm out of it. Oh, I'm, I'm just, yeah, it's, it's, like, just it's like Jason Statham in the Meg. When they find, like, he's been on a beach drinking himself to death for the last year. And it shows him, and he's like, beautiful swim truck, still just J- Jason Statham, just shredded and cut. Like, looks great. Yeah, this guy, yeah, he really looks like he's fucking disheveled. Yeah, Patrick, yeah, oh, no, because oh, oh, he woke up late in the day. That means he's, he's a fucking loser. And he's, a, and he's about to be evicted, but then he leaves on his sweet motorcycle in front of that horrific, like, green screen. Which I can't oh, there's a lot like, of that, too. So many scenes that like feel like they didn't need to be green screen that they're just like, ah, fuck it. We'll just have a big green screen here like that. And then when he pulls up to Griffith Park, and it's just yes. like, Patrick Wilson is like not in front of anything. <laughs> no. When he's searching the dumpsters outside the museum. Yeah. That's and it shows the sky. You're like, oh, yeah, no. With no, a very no, no. lax security guard who's just like, are you looking for this? <laughs> he finds it immediately. Why did? How did he find it immediately? It was just like on the ground. Like Patrick Wilson like threw it was probably like the first piece of garbage he threw away. <laughs> yeah. Was the actual yeah. Paper. <laughs> 100%. And Patrick Wilson, a former NASA astronaut, so you know he's gotta be pretty intelligent. Nope, no idea. Can't find it. No, but this guy. What orbital rate? Is this what you're looking for? And why would he think that's what he's looking for? Like what the fuck is going on? What is going on in this movie? Well, I'll say this much, like, to go back to, like, the Emmerich question, like, I think the thing is, this is lower to me even than some of those other, like, movies that are, like, much more stupid, but at the same time, some of those are, like, kind of fun 
in terms of like how much ridiculous shit like all the characters are able to do that like Emmerich throws at us. Like 2012 has that I'd argue with like you got Woody Harrelson and Oliver Platt doing like very silly shit. Um, and even like some of the people in the first Independence Day, like there's some a bit more charm to that. And also they don't look nearly as gray as this movie does. Like the color palette for this is like an ugly steel color. Oh, it's that just terrible. Looks, like very dull and uninteresting. <laughs> No, yeah, it's terrible looking, and like, there, like there are some moments where there's some cool effects. Like I'd say the the shot that they obviously they made to sell the movie, where it's the moon coming up behind the Earth, kind of cool looking. There's some cool looking stuff in this. I don't even mean mind the design. Once they're actually like you see a little bit more where it's making of the AI where it's making geometric shapes and stuff. Like it's yeah. okay. Uh, once he's actually in the inside of the moon, though, it's just so plain and bland. Like, let's just put him in a white hallway with, like, fluorescent lighting. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's real fucking original. Uh, it's just... The, it, I, understand, I, I understand maybe budget concerns or constraints or whatever you want to call it, but scale it down, then. Just scale it, everything down a little bit and really, did you know, try to make something cool or at least interesting. This is just as bloated, you know, in, using air quotes, independent, but it's not. But like bloated summer blockbuster-itis. Like it's just garbage. Well, uh, well and it also feels very much like a, an extremely dated like summer blockbusters pretty instantly right like i would imagine seeing this when it came out maybe like a month later it already being dated like well even like like even before that like i'm just referring to the fact that like this is so feels like a 90s era blockbuster in terms of like so many of like the recurring elements like even like the the conspiracy theorist who's like oh you're totally right that feels very much like a dated concept to the degree that like this failing so much i think just signals like the end of like any of those disaster movies like geostorm was the canary in the coal mine and then this is like the death nail i would say like greenland was really i mean greenland Greenland actually did decently well i'm just talking about like the we talked about geostorm previously like that one failed spectacularly in a big theatrical release well yeah greenland only made 40 greenland only made like 40 million dollars dude it wasn't even but i mean but i mean not on a much smaller budget than either of these movies that's true that's true i'll give you that i'll give you that yeah because yeah, this does feel like if it's not the proverbial sort of death nail, maybe it needs to be. I just I can't. Can you honestly think of the last disaster movie you actually enjoyed? Um, well, I will say I did recently watch a very unique take on the disaster movie uh, that just came out on Netflix with White Noise, the Noah Baumbach movie, uh, which was very bizarre and is very much like not a traditional disaster movie. Um, but, but yeah, we, I think we even talked about this with our disaster movie episode we did around the time this movie was coming out mm-hmm. that like, it feels like that genre just isn't as like enticing to people who, I don't know, want to, don't want to go to a movie theater and watch like horrible disasters happen right now, maybe yeah. for specific reasons related to right now. It's just a genre I don't really give a shit about. It's just getting, it seems to be formulaic and also just now it's got to the point where. Our big problem is there's artificial intelligence hollowing out the moon, they're like, they're, and it's going to crash on Earth. Like that's that's where we're going. That's how far we're going with this. Like just enough. Take a break. Just take a fucking break. I mean, well, this no, I mean, and then when the gravity is severely affected, don't you love that where people are like bouncing up in like really poor like CG versions of these? Those people? two guys <laughs> run into the helicopter. Yes. 
I mean, it was one of the funniest fucking things. Like it's so it, it's like a combination of felt like a bad CGI or it just be good guys on like harnesses and they're going all right up and down up and down <laughs> boing so, boing the run a bouncy castle basically or the car where he jumps the thing and then automatically lands at a floating piece of ground and then get the fuck okay yeah this movie is just so stupid it's it tries like to be smart. Like, they think, like, the, the big twist and reveal is going to be like, whoa. No. No, it's it makes you feel dumber, really. Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they necessarily think it's going to be smart, but they're just going to be like, oh, this is, like, a big fucking, like, surprising twist for you, right? You would have never anticipated this. And yet, it feels just like it. this is less like the Roland Emmerich who would do, like, you know, some of those, like, other more fun disaster movies, and more in line with, like, the Roland Emmerich, who not too long ago did the William Shakespeare conspiracy theorist movie. That was him? I didn't know that was him. Yep. Yeah, Anonymous. Yes, that was him. That was one of his non-disaster projects he decided to do. This feels a lot more in line with that, where it's just like, but what if you all didn't realize that this is happening? And it's, like, it's it's so, like, in an age of, like, modern, like, weird Q conspiracy theory shit, it just feels almost weirdly irresponsible to do like one well, of those. Well, that's a lot. It's a, yeah, it, this movie is for those people. I mean, that's that's who, I mean, that's what it is. It feels like it's, I, uh, you read the ramblings of a maniac online and it would just be this script. There's a fucking mega structure in the moon, man. And it's actually created from us from like billions of years ago. And it's literally now we're alive because our lifeblood was like infused with the planet Earth, man. And, you know, Elon Musk, is he's actually a genius, man. <laughs> it's just, oh, Christ almighty. Right, right from just like uh, Dick Boy 63 <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, on, 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 on Twitter, like lightsaber. Yes, of course, yes, lightsaber, lightsaber six, nine, six, six, nine. Nine, six nine. <laughs> Yes, on Twitter, who's just like sending this to Elon Musk? And he's like, I'll make sure to implement that on the new yep. Twitter platform yep. <laughs> update. Well, everybody, I received a very interesting email from a man named Big Daddy Dills, and uh... <laughs> I'm just like, if you let him keep going, there would have been like George Soros and Alex Jones level, like making the frogs able shit. Right, it feels like it's an Infowars movie. It's it's, yes. it's fucking it's garbage. It's just garbage. Yeah, but at the same time, like it's not like you you keep saying that like it's like fascinating. I don't think it's quite as fascinating because like it, there's longer stretches like boredom for me in this one. Like oh, I would say like definitely. the er- the earlier like setup stuff. There's a lot of like weird fun stuff, and then particularly once they actually go to the moon and they have like that exposition dump from the, like, the little kid and stuff like that. That's where I think just like, it's most like kind of like fun stupidness, but there's a lot of stuff in the middle where it's just like, let's go through another like big disaster moment. Um, but then followed up by like we, what we were talking about earlier with like the weird hillbillies in Colorado. And she's like, there's like flashes of like the sort of like fun, bad elements of this, but I don't think this is like nearly like a so bad. It's good kind of movie. No, it's not. No, no, no. It's not a so bad. It's good. Like I, when I say fascinated, I think I mean fascinating more or less like, Yes, it's formulaic, but sort of the reveal and stuff, which isn't a shocker, but at least it's like, okay, this is about as crazy as you can go right now. Like, it, that, like it, that's what interests me. And just the, the you know, oh my god, it repaired the rover. The well, they repaired it in P-POM. Oh my god, there's spaceships down there. Gotta fly as close to those spaceships. What is going on here? Like, <laughs> he wrote this. And I mean, it's just fascinating to me that Roland Emmerich wrote this and was like, yes, 
this will work. I shall film it. Well, <laughs> more important that all these different production companies like read this script. Yeah, we're like, like oh sold. hell yeah, yeah, oh fuck yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that the kid from Game of Thrones is going to stay behind, and we're going to do like like a mid-credit stinger, but it's not. We're just going to shove it at the end of the movie. Well, we established that he's part of the moon now. Yeah, you're right, exactly. He is, the, he is part of the moon now. Yep. <laughs> we better get started. What? Started with what? <laughs> yeah, for that sequel, that's that's totally coming, right? That's going to happen. Yep, absolutely. Moon right after the you. storm happens. Fucking Q pieces of shit. <laughs> That was a fucking dub. Moonfall would not be one that I would recommend to uh, anyone. It's not one of those like, dude, you got to see it. It's fucking so terrible. No, it's just so dumb. I got to tell people it's fucking dumb. But then again, nobody's asking about it. So I guess we lucked out there too. Yeah. And it also feels very much like we mentioned was sort of like the ever evolving blockbuster landscape. Uh, it's even though this is like technically an original movie that's not based on IP, it also shows that like we can't just rest on the laurels of like older nostalgia fuel of just like, oh, remember like 90s disaster movies? You'll love this, right? And it's like, no, right, not really. Exactly. <laughs> we can't necessarily rely on that. It's a bummer if anything of like, I wish Roland Emmerich had been able to do more stuff in the vein of White House Down, which I would argue is his best movie. I think is a lot more fun than like any of his other movies, honestly. Is that the Jamie Foxx, uh, Channing Tatum one? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. That's probably his best movie. Yeah. And as opposed to uh, this, which yeah, definitely just feels like it's kind of him just repeating a lot of the old stuff and having a few like sort of inspired fun, bad moments, but not nearly as much of even the dumb charm of some of his earlier movies. This isn't even the day after tomorrow with Jake Gyllenhaal running away from the cold. And shit like that. It's just like ridiculously <laughs> silly shit like that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, those are my final thoughts. I don't know if you have anything else to add at all to that, Adam. No, not really. Just like I said, it's just it's really dumb. It feels like I think you said it really, really well. Uh, it just feels like irresponsible storytelling. Like I understand maybe you know he started writing this during Independence Day too, and it took the, like four or five years to finish the script or whatever. Fine, but then when you're done, maybe look at the current landscape and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. It just feels irresponsible and it's stupid and it's just very cringeworthy, kind of all over the place. And uh, yeah, uh, ten out of ten would definitely recommend it. <laughs> for sure, for sure on that. But uh, let's get into a much better sci-fi film uh, with After Yang. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night. He won't restart. If we can't get Yang fixed, we're not gonna buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. We've always known that some bots are equipped with spyware. You might not want this bot in your house anymore. I had a real memory. What do you mean? Did you only want to be human? That's such a human thing to ask, isn't it? May I be honest with you? Wait, it's, it's not being honest an option for you. 
So after Yang uh, came out March 4th, 2022, uh, from director-writer uh, Koganada, one one name, one word, perfect, Koganada. Um, and it's based on a short story by uh, Alexander Weinstein. And uh, this is definitely a movie that uh, I'm sure most people out there have not seen. Uh, because yeah. um, it it was one of those weird things where along with like this and another, I think, underrated movie from this year, Confess Fletch, it was one of those like it premiered on Showtime and was released in smaller theaters um, at the same time. And I remember even like I was telling you like the whole time, like I can't I want to see this movie, but it's not playing around here anywhere. And Showtime has like exclusive rights to like stream it for months. So I didn't even see this until like July or something like that. But um, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I especially rewatched it for the show because uh, I would say uh, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I, I think it's a tremendous little sci-fi movie that basic plot synopsis uh, for all of you. Uh, this takes place in the sort of like not too distant future uh, where um, we follow a family uh, who consists of Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner Smith, who have an adopted daughter, uh, Mika, uh, played by Mala emma and i apologize for potentially mispronouncing this name uh yep <laughs> tjar widala apologies with that uh but basically she's this young uh chinese girl uh, who they adopted at birth and um in this near future there are robots uh that are particularly designed to sort of help especially with like chinese uh adoptees uh, especially under parents who are not Chinese, given it's Jody Turner Smith and Colin Farrell, uh, to like these robots that are designed to help them connect to their Chinese heritage, uh, which is the case for Yang, uh, who is uh, in here played by uh, Justin H. Min. And uh, she has basically a very like older sibling, younger sibling relationship with Yang. And they're very close. Very early in the movie, uh, Yang stops working. And Colin Farrell basically goes on a quest to try and see if he can, like, get certain parts replaced or see if there's, like, a big, like, if there's any way that they can bring Yang back up to working order. And over the course of that journey, uh, it, he finds out a lot more about Yang's past and what they did, especially because they got him secondhand from a store that doesn't exist anymore. He starts finding out, like, oh, Yang had much more than we anticipated necessarily than we were aware of. Um, and like I said, I love this movie. I think it's one of my favorites of the year. And I really wanted to bring it up to you, Adam, because I feel like you're a big sci-fi fan. And this has shades of Blade Runner and other sort of like sci-fi stories to it. So uh, what did you think of After Yang? I really, really liked it. You know, I, I, I don't know that it'd be one of my favorites of the year, but I think it's a really fucking good movie, man. Uh, I think it's shot just incredible. It's such a beautiful movie to look at. Uh, the composition, everything, even the set design, the costuming, which it's like you said, it, it doesn't look too far off from sort of today, but it, there's just enough of a turn to it to where it's like, okay, it's clearly a little bit in the future. Um, I think that the acting is fucking incredible pretty much all around. Uh, Colin Farrell just fucking crushes it, but the kid who plays Yang is incredible. Um, I love seeing Clifton Collins Jr. pop up in pretty much anything, and he's really fun in his little smart small part. Um, I love the score. I, it's just, it's a really cool movie that's not at all what I thought it was going to be going in. But I, like, I, I kind of knew what it was, but I really didn't expect it to be this sort of really like deep introspective piece about like sort of who you were doesn't necessarily mean who you are and also like where the, where the past can stay buried or and just it's just this really really deep movie about loss and how to cope with it and deal with it and 
at least that's what I took from it. And I just think it's really fucking good. It, it definitely what I would call a sort of slow burn film. I would compare it more to like even like maybe an Ex Machina than I even would Blade Runner. A fitting given like the A24, like low, lower, like sort of like character focused sci-fi kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would agree that that's a that's a more apt comparison, I guess. Um, and I do want to emphasize we will spoil this movie, but I would recommend anybody see it, anybody seek it out before you like listen further and then continue with uh, us talking about it. Cause uh, it's, it's such a movie that I hope more people get to see because of that weird release. Uh, Cause it's like you mentioned, it's definitely like, it's not a very traditional, like sort of uh, like sci-fi thriller or action or anything like that. It's just this intimate character moving just about like, like you mentioned, there's a lot of like, Oh, kind of dealing with loss of a person, but also the big thing I love about it is it's about like finding out about a person that you lost and realizing like, oh, they lived an entire life before I ever knew them. And how that helps you to like gain even more appreciation for who they were as a person. And especially with like the sci-fi concept of like the the two parents kind of treat Yang as more of like, oh, he's like a helpful thing for our daughter, but he's less of like a person. And then over the course of this movie, both those characters get to find out more about like, oh, Yang, we didn't appreciate as just like an actual full-fledged person despite the fact that he was a robot and how that ties in especially with Haley Lou Richardson's character and all that I, I just love how that's all unveiled yeah me too I, I mean to the point to where Colin Farrell eventually refer- refers to him as his son yes and then when she, the mother's remembering sort of him asking her questions and they're talking about his bug collection and all and what it means like if it just ends what it is and all that and she's getting kind of choked up by it that's a beautiful scene by the way if might maybe my favorite scene in the movie um and she's fucking great in this too god she's so good yeah. everything i've seen her in she's just fucking wonderful you run sort of the gamut of emotions with this movie like I, I never found it to be ultimately depressing i'd say sad in parts uh, but I was never, like, depressed with it. And ultimately, the way it ends is such, like, a really sweet way to end it. And, you know, where there is closure there. Maybe not the closure you thought you were going to get or closure you needed, but closure. And it, sort of the repairing of the relate, the fractured relationship that's become because of the loss. And, uh, and also, dude, maybe my favorite credits like open hell yeah sequence ever because <laughs> as soon as it starts I'm like what the fuck is going on? whoa what the f- whoa what the fuck and then it goes like weird technicolor and everybody's in matching clothes and it's like, it's fucking weird but it's really kind of awesome and it's really the only time that you get anything like that in this movie that's it's so smart we're like, hey, let's just throw something really goofy and crazy at him and then we're gonna do this really quiet sort of introspective character piece but but what i like about that because if you if you're unaware like the opening sequence is this great thing where like all like the various different families we see are all participating in like um in an international like dance competition thing done over the internet where all the families have to stay in sync in a specific like dance pattern in order for like them to stay in the game as it were and i think it does a great job of like building up like what sort of pop culture is in this world and then how like this family is still together at this point and then especially a very like off kilter thing like initially like you mentioned like oh this is like a fun bit to kind of like distract you for a moment and then to realize at the end of it that's where yang like falls apart and it's just like, oh, we were having like a fun family thing. And then Yang just stopped working after that. Like that basically caused him to short circuit. 
And I just like I love how it, like catches you off guard in that way. And the rest of this movie is like this much more slower build thing. But it just like the, the movie does such a great job of developing so much about this world. Like another person we didn't mention was uh, Richie Coster, who you all might know as the Russian. My dogs are hungry guy from The Dark Knight. I love all that stuff where it feels almost like in a modern context where you have like Apple switches up their technology all the time and you have like certain like stuff about like what you can and can't do with the machine um, and, and stuff like that. It feels like it's very sort of like prevalent about like what technology is, but at the same time, it has even higher stakes. It's like, this isn't my computer. This is basically my adopted son who I'm trying to like get in working order again for my daughter. And he's a conspiracy theorist as well, but one that you're like, yeah, it's it's does it feel sloppy? Like it feels like real, and it's also because there is kind of a really weird thing, like you said, going on with certain technology companies and stuff. You believe that you know these people do exist, or these conspiracy theories and stuff, but he does it in a way that's a convincing. B, he feels dangerous, the character, and he like when he confronts Colin Farrell with the pipe and stuff, like you're like, oh fuck this guy and the guy's got a reputation he's dangerous people are like you shouldn't be dealing with him all that and compared to our other movie where it's like oh the conspiracy theorist and this is just this quirky little guy right and it's even better where like we saw this guy he was like one of the families that we saw earlier mm-hmm. yeah and that like big dance thing so it's like oh he's like a natural like a normal family man on the outside but then he has like this darker aspect to him that conflicts with our character like this movie does such a great job of like world building while keeping things so intimate at the same time like i feel like this whole world feels like so fleshed out and lived in that at the same time it feels like we're covering just a couple different families that are like intersecting with each other yeah right exactly it's really fucking cool man and i i really like um Forgive me, I don't know her name, but the one who plays the sort of the director at the museum, I thought she was really good, who also you catch in the opening scene. But um, she's really, really good. She's, she plays her really small role, but with such, like, wonder and compassion. And, like, she's just mind-blown by Yang and, and sort of what it can mean. But she also, like, is being very much, like, you know, if you want him back, I understand, and it's up to you if we do this. She's not pushing for it because... She realizes he's basically a member of their family. And it's just, it's a really good little performance. Yeah, Sarita Chandahuri is great. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, the, she does a, a great job as well. We're like, well, that's another thing where it just feels like, oh, we're fleshing out even more about like what synthetics are in this world. We're like, we've done, we've seen so many like sort of like artificial intelligence movies, but this is such a great example of like casually unveiling so much about like what synthetics are and like the rules of them with like somebody who feels like they don't have that kind of knowledge like Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell just feels like, look, I'm just a dude who tries to sell like natural tea, which I love. And like that earlier scene where the lady's just like, where are like the tea crystals? You don't sell any of those? No, but I can make you something just as good. Never mind. I'm not going to even bother. Like he's so much of a Luddite that like he uh-huh. doesn't even know anything about any of this technology and just kind of wants, can you just make him work? Basically. Which is also another great scene where he's explaining where Yang is asking him why tea. And they go through that whole explanation and he tells him, you know, about the documentary he watched and all this stuff. And it's just a really sweet moment between, you know, of course, it's supposed to be a a robot, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like father and son or, you know, maybe even uncle and nephew or something like that. It's just a really sweet moment. Yep. And shout out to Colin Farrell's amazing Werner Herzog impression. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. It was a perfect Werner Herzog impression. As yes. soon as he started, because I've never seen that documentary, I did, you know, or whatever. But as soon as he started, I went, "Oh, Werner Herzog, yeah, all right, <laughs> yeah, I get it." 
That's fucking yeah. great. I mean, that's what I love too with uh, like we should mention like Colin Farrell's our star here and he had an amazing 2022 with like the Batman, this and another movie that I know you just recently saw with Banshees of Inishirin. Yep, five out of five. Favorite movie of the year. <laughs> I mean, and that's a genuine one. That's not a bullshit one. He genuinely really loved that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Yes, uh, but but yeah, like he just like having this like weird sort of comeback. I think that's been kind of brewing ever since like in Bruges a while ago. But I think it's really come to roost in the last couple years. Like you see, like he has so much of like this weird quiet empathy in his performance, where just like he's somebody who like wants to like have the best thing for his daughter and his family, but at the same time just can't like reach the impasse of like getting past that. But at the same time, he like is clearly trying with like the stuff where he's looking through the memory, which I love how that's visually represented. Where like they have like the memory bank of Yang, and then he looks through and it's like the most gorgeous like version of the PS2 opening screen, which is like going through different blocks and shit like that. Yeah, for sure. You got a little Morpheus sunglasses on, so cute. But yeah, no, dude, I agree with you about Colin Farrell. I've always thought he's like, dude, this guy's so underrated. Like he he just he just they get, he just does dumb movies. Like the recruit, or you know, SWAT, and all these shitty action movies he did for a while, just because he was like the good-looking guy, which he is a very good-looking guy. But then you see like Miami Vice and stuff like that, and you're like, oh god, he's so fucking good. Even Minority Report, he's great in that movie. Phone Booth, you know, stuff like that, where it's like these weird character performances that like he really, really crushes. I think Colin Farrell, unfortunately, sort of got saddled with being the hot leading man. When he's that's not he's a character actor too. He's just a, he happens to be a good looking man, but he's he's a total character actor. He can really sort of transform and disappear. Like even in this, and then obviously Banshees as well. It's him. It's his face. It's 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 completely him. But he, it feels like it's two completely different actors, like two completely different people. And the thing is, they're not that different of sort of performance. They're both kind of quiet, a little not quiet, but it's not manic over the top it's really sort of sweet down to earth performances but uh, you'd be damn he's so fucking good he's so good and this movie is absolute proof of why he's so good he he feels like a caring father but who also is unsure of himself as a father at the same time and as a husband he's having his own identity crisis and then even like unsure of his life decisions as far as his profession and sort of what's going on. He has no idea what's going on at home. He doesn't have any idea what's going on with his wife. You know, even like halfway through the movie where she's obviously upset with him for not being around and all that stuff. You know, are we good? Like, obviously not. You are obviously not. And then his daughter, like constantly, like, where is he? When is he going to be home? And, oh, you know, he had a late night at the tea shop. I mean, you know, he didn't have a lot of customers. He was probably just fucking chilling. Didn't want to go home. He feels so out of place. Uh, it's just, it's a really wonderful performance of not only like sort of, like we said, dealing with sort of loss or whatever, but also sort of like discovering one's own self at the same time through the loss and through the grief and through sort of the mourning process and just ultimately being cool with who we are and what you have, except self-acceptance at the same time. And uh, it's just a really, really fucking great performance about him. And I, unfortunately, nobody saw this movie. Uh, I mean, I guess that doesn't mean... You know, I think, but this is, if he gets a nomination, I'm assuming be for Banshees, which he's also fucking great in, but I'd almost prefer it to be this one, because I think this is the better performance. 
Yeah, I mean, and, like, the thing is, he's one of those guys who, like, you mentioned, like, oh, he's, like, more of a character actor, but he doesn't have, like, the Jude Law problem, necessarily, where he can lead movies, but at the same time, it's through, like, what we're talking about, where it's not through, like, oh, I'm, it's just because I'm, like, a handsome guy. He has, like, these very sort of, like, either very down-to-earth or very, like, silly with, like, you know, the Penguin performance. It's just, like, a scene-stealer thing versus even, like, the in After Yang and Banshees. It feels like he just fits in with the ensemble that's here already, and it feels like he's very much, like, a sort of team player, like, has gone through so much. Like, you can feel, like, there's a definite turn where after he had gone through, like, rehab and gotten sober, it feels like there's been a genuine, like, total turnover in his career where you see a lot of that loss and a lot of that kind of like regret about his past come through really well in these performances where this is a guy who's like lived through a lot. Yeah, hundred percent dude. He brings sort of a, a world weary sort of quality to, if for lack of a better term, quality to all of his performances now, even in something that's sort of over the top, like the penguin, there's still such a darkness there too, where it's, and it's like just behind the eyes. It's, it's really fucking great. Like, I don't want to keep talking about a different movie, but in Banshees even, where you know he's this this nice guy, but he's got these moments of just like, God, he's fucked up. <laughs> like, this guy's got some issues. Um, and it, it's it, there is a bit of that in this too. Like I said, it's he's very sweet and charming and soft spoken and everything in this movie, but then you find out he hates clones, you know, and he's got a problem with the clones, and then you find out he's having problems sort of with his wife and then maybe money problems and sort of he doesn't know really anything about his daughter that much like just enough where really yang was the one that took care of her and he doesn't know anything he, you know like oh you get out of bed at night you get water like i had no idea you know stuff like, there's just this yeah he's a real sweet guy but there's feels like there's always something under the surface always and like i said this one just really really sort of exemplifies that for me it's not my favorite movie of the year. One of my favorite movies, sure, but maybe my favorite male performance, maybe. Uh, which is crazy because my favorite movie of the year is he's in it. But I think this is the better performance, and I, I just think it's you know it's not the only thing that makes the movie, but it, it definitely kicks into an, another echelon for sure. Well, I mean, someone else who's great, who you mentioned the clone element of this. Uh, we have Haley Lou Richardson pops up as this actual clone who apparently has had like a secret sort of relationship with Yang that comes around. And I love all of the reveals about that whole thing where like when we see her initially in like the memories, which like the way Koganada in this movie, not only is he was the director, writer, and also editor of this movie. I love the way that he edits the memory element of this, where like whenever somebody like kind of thinks back, there's certain different angles that he has on like somebody remembering, like there's bits where even that scene you were talking about with Jody uh, Turner Smith, where she like remembers that moment with Yang and there's like certain shots where like they show her saying the same line, but having like different versions like, oh, I laughed after that or I kind of paused and like gulped some air or something like that. Like it shows that, like, oh, we don't have a precise idea of what memory is uh, as opposed to like when we see the actual like memories that show up later, we see so like very clearly what they are and like all the stuff with her and like the mysterious angle, like who is she and how does Yang know her? And then that ultimate reveal that like Yang has lived essentially so many different lives before we ever met this entire family. Like they just thought, Oh, we got him like secondhand. He was only like five days old or whatever from that store that doesn't exist anymore. But it just shows off like, Oh wait, I have had like decades of living a life where I was like in love with a woman who ended up dying. And then I now have this connection with her clone basically at this point now, who was like her great grandmother 
or whatever. It just like unveils so much of like, oh yeah, this guy who we just thought was like our, you know, basically like live in Butler type. It's like, no, not only is he like someone who I consider a son now, but he had an entire existence before we ever knew him. And all those shots of like him um, with, you know, the, the mom and seeing like the little boy grow up and then leave. And then she ends up getting sick, which causes Haley Lee Richardson to come in as the nurse and everything. You just see so much like, oh, this, these snapshots of a life this robot lived as an actual sort of like human person is like so beautiful and touching and upsetting, but like it just unveils so much that once again, like with the sort of stereotypes people have about like robots or clones in this universe, it's like, no, they're actual like beings who have feelings and emotions. And there's a lot more than we give them credit for. I just love how all that's unveiled in a very empathetic sci-fi conceit. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. You know, and it's even not even just with her, which she is great too. And that whole reveal of kind of, you know, where Yang just found her again, basically, because just, the, you know, the question can, you know, uh, whatever they call them. In that. I forget what they're called. They're not called robots. They're called. It's like synthetics uh, or something like that. Yeah, something, sin, like that. yeah something like that. Or auto sins or something like that. You know, can they you know, feel love and all that? And I don't I don't think so. Well, clearly this one can. And that's what made him so special. And that's also what made him so special to the family. Uh, it, it's just such a great moment. And like you said, too, in the opening where, you know, yeah, you don't really sort of know when you find out, you know, who people were before you knew them and whatever that. But, I mean, this is just the implications of how long this robot's been alive and sort of moving through people's lives. And even that the one flashback where he's with the, the little boy and the mother and, you know, the little boy you can tell as he's growing up is like, doesn't want to fucking have this guy, this robot around mm-hmm. and the mother gets sick and she's sort of like, you know, just die. It's just, it's so sad. But at the same time, it's like you get this sort of sense of, yeah, but he found her again. And, and now maybe that's, he completed his sort of, goal i guess he, he his great love was lost and then he found her again and then he, okay he, he's good now you know it's just it's he can stop running basically um internally um but it's just it's such a beautiful moment and it just all the scenes of him just sort of looking at his own reflection and all of that it's it's, it's really fucking just pretty and beautiful uh except for that fucking mullet they put on him in the the past look we all go through changes in our hairstyles and our lives i mean i guess but good (laughs) lord uh but also there's like so many of the great specific memory moments like i love there's a point where like he's looking back on like when the mother is sick and Haley richardson's taking care of him there's just a shot of like her on the bedside of the mother and then they both look at the camera implying like oh yang's just here and it's awkward like elements like that where she's like that's a very specific memory that just feels like oh this was like plucked out of in this case literally like someone's head but in a way that like immediately makes you empathize with like oh no i have memories like that like very specific details that are just like something like i remember like from my particular perspective watching like an event go on like between two people in front of me and shit like that it is such a like great example and i think that's what i i really hope that this guy koganada who uh, has only done one other movie before this called columbus which i also saw and is very good like a little intimate drama with Haley lou richardson and uh john cho that's great but before this he did like video essays on youtube and like for the criterion collection and shit like that uh, i think he's an amazing talent i really want to see more of this guy 
yeah, I'd like to see more from him too. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I just, oh, God, please God, you know, I would imagine I'm thinking not, but I, I hope he doesn't get sort of like roped up in one of the big sort of shared universes type ideas that are going on. Oh, like say Lee Isaac Chung, the guy who did Minari doing Twisters as his next project. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Yep, that was deeply upsetting to hear, like, oh, that's what that's, he's doing. That's so sad. I that's know, so that's sad. So, such a bummer, dude. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, it really is. But I, yeah, I don't want that to happen to this guy. I think this guy's got a really unique, you know, this is the only thing I've seen. I didn't see Columbus or anything like that, but just there's something about his visual even design and visual storytelling that's like, oh yeah, I really want to see more of this. Like, it's, I, I just, it's, that's good to know that his first one was good too, because you know he, sometimes you get directors who yeah they they make this really visual beautiful movie, and then uh, their next movies are sort of uh, stinkers. <laughs> Duncan Jones, <laughs> um, <laughs> Alex Garland, even with Men, you're like oh fuck bummer. I don't know. He but, did a uh, fair amount of very good movies and also wrote several good movies before Men. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. I know. One yeah. bad one. You're out of town for Adam Thomas. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty fucking bad. I mean, but, no, I'm not uh, disagreeing with that. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But uh, yeah, I, I think this guy has a really unique sort of uh, vision. I'd really like to see where he goes from here. I'd love to see him get more sort of not necessarily huge projects, but you know, maybe a little bit more wider attention to wider release projects, you know, sci-fi or however he wants to do it, just but intimate stories like this. And I, I think it he could be a real sort of force uh, or really good new talent to sort of watch. I'm tired. I'm just tired of the same old shit over and over. And I think this guy could bring something new. Yeah, that's true until it's announced like Avengers 6. Uh, yeah. Tombstone 2. By Kuganawa. Oh, fuck. What? Tombstone. <laughs> Graveyard's Revenge. <laughs> Tombstone. Not the pizza. Um, it's just... <laughs> Why? Twisters? Oh, man. <laughs> so Look, we had to follow up the legacy of Twister, uh, and we fuck. were so much in need of that. Yeah, Jurassic World Blue's Revenge. You know, now that's more the guy. Colin Trevorrow is way more that guy. Oh, I'm just like, oh, a fun little indie movie, and then a bunch of fucking bullshit blockbusters in Book of Henry. Just garbage. <laughs> oh god. Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, but no, it's just I. This is a really wonderful little introspective movie that you don't get anymore. I mean, you do, but there's so few and far between. And you know, a lot of times, yeah, they work, but it's really rare that they really work this well. And it's always fun, especially when it's a new talent and sort of new stars as mixed with established stars, and it just gives everybody sort of a a, a chance to shine. And I, I think this one's kind of really a perfect epitome of that where everybody in this shines and it's it's really fucking good it's really good i'm glad i've i'm glad you picked it uh because i remember when i got it i was like dude i got the, i think i got that movie i think you were talking about after gang and i, think and I watched immediately it like, watched it yeah, i think like, it was like pretty it. much right away <laughs> yeah so uh yeah it was uh it was a real joy to watch yeah and honestly it was one where like i really really liked it the first time i watched it and then this rewatch kind of solidified it like it's part of my top 10 i would say for the year because i think it does it's, it's like we mentioned it does such a great job with like all these like 
uh, sort of like sci-fi elements, but then world building, but not in the sort of obnoxious world building way where it feels like, oh, are we building like a quote unquote universe or whatever, like some like bigger budget sci-fi does these days. It feels so much more like, well, we're firmly establishing what this world is because it really matters for like the characters and the journey that they're going on and for this particular story that, as we mentioned, is so like character focused. And it feels like, you know, it's another credit to A24 still delivering such like massive, diverse, different things that, you know, this this year was like the, the 10th anniversary of A24 starting. Um, and it feels just like, yeah, they're just at least pumping up things like not all of these things I liked. Uh, spoilers, I'm going to mention a bad one when we get to our double reduce segment that they put out. Uh, but at the same time, they take chances on just like a bunch of interesting, different things that I'm like so happy it can exist even if this didn't get a major release and it's a bummer but at the same time i'm glad that like a movie like this quiet and beautiful and subtle can still exist on modern pop culture landscape and i would definitely recommend anybody out there see it if you haven't um and those are my final thoughts i don't know if you have anything else to add adam about after yang no well said i I think i pretty much said everything I, i wanted to i just i hope it gets a little more attention so we keep getting stuff like this Yes, and also, if you have a Yang mullet, cut it. That's not a good look. Yeah, no, it's not a good look, to the point to where, uh, just awful. Just cut that shit off. (laughs) Uh, Let's go into our weekly segment, the Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. So the double redo is a segment that uh, Adam and I do every week uh, in which we, uh, you know, bring up along with, uh, you know, our good and bad feature we talk about on the episode. Uh, we recommend like a good and a bad feature uh, related to the topic uh, for you all to like either uh, one to see and one to avoid. So Adam has a good and a bad choice for 2022 movies and I have the same. And so uh, Adam, you're going to go ahead and go first. What are your choices for uh, the double redo? Okay. Yeah. So big shocker. Um, both of mine are genre films. I know I've never done that before, and I don't talk about the genre at all. Oh, do you like genre films? Or I'm, I'm sure you're not a fan of horror movies at all, though, right? No, garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for my good choice, uh, it's actually a sequel to a movie that I was not a fan of, and also by a director I typically not a fan of. Uh, it's Ty West's Pearl. Did not like X at all. I felt X was, uh, I mean, it's supposed to be exploitive, but I felt like it just went for too much like gross out and just felt lazy and stupid like just oh let's just make a tna movie but also have old people be nude and do it and that gross it's just like okay this is fucking stupid but then you know and also i'm like how are they gonna make a fucking prequel to this so with mia goth is this old lady like not it's so silly but then this comes out and it starts like people really buzzing about it, which people liked X too. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you did, that's great. But then this one comes out and I'm like, all right, I guess I got to see it. Fuck it. And I'll be damned if like, it's not one of my favorite, also one of my favorite performances of the year is Mia Goth as Pearl. She's so fucking great, but not only is she great, like the actress who plays her mother's great. The video projector guy's great. Her cousin is great. Like, it's just, it's a really fucking good movie. Uh, and just really about sort of one girl's descent into madness, you know, that everybody around her, especially her mother, like 
knew there was something wrong with her. But then it's just you get to watch it happen and watch her just go completely batshit crazy till you get to the ultimate crescendo of the credits roll. Some of the best non-vocal acting I've ever seen. It's fucking creepy and weird and haunting. Kind of funny because it's over the top, but in a really perfect camp way. Like, And it looks great. The colors are great. The wardrobe's great. Like Everything about Pearl kind of works. And it's a huge surprise to me because, like I said, not a huge fan of X. The kid cootie of it all was not enough. Um, <laughs> but for my bad, I have one that we've talked about uh, on the Patreon. I said on that that it's one of the worst pieces of exploitive pieces of shit I've ever seen that takes the awful idea of real life horrible tragedies and turns it into the way it flips it to where, you know, ultimately that's what saves her. And it's just, and also in a franchise that need to die a long time ago, I have. Uh, the Netflix text chainsaw massacre. Um, I, I won't say a lot about it on here because I don't think it even deserves and to t- be talked about much more. Um, but it is absolutely offensive for many, many reasons. Uh, it's a clear like, oh, they brought Jamie Lee Curtis back in 2018's Halloween. Oh, let's bring Sally back. Oh, the actress died. Oh, we'll just recast her. Fuck it. And then we're just going to do the character super dirty. And also, like I said, the, the just the school shooting stuff. Is so unbelievably offensive and gross and not even, you know, I'm fine with taking stuff and flipping it to, you know, sort of be shocking horror. It doesn't bother me a lot, uh, but I think something like that is just so just fucking gross and just reprehensible and really sort of just immoral and just... I, I hate to say it, but like this guy, like whoever wrote it, like fuck you, man. Like you, you don't just you didn't deserve to be able to write a movie if that's the shit you're gonna throw in it. And uh, yeah, that's about all I'll say about it. It's just fucking garbage. And I kind of, you know, I, I think it did well on Netflix, but uh, I'm sure we'll get another one. But I really fucking hope not. And uh, yeah, fuck you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But watch Pearl. Right, specifically Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. I think they have the words like either they remove the definite article, I think, right? That's the thing. They removed the. That's the only yeah, difference between th- yeah, that and like think, the original title, I think. Yeah, I believe that's the case. And also in the original, they weirdly have chain and saw as two different words. Which I, is still that, weird. that fucking franchise is so batshit crazy and weird. I'll agree with you. Like, I don't have a lot more to say about Texas Chainsaw than what we did do on On the Edge of Relevance on the Patreon. We did a whole episode about it when it came out. Um, and that's probably our most like vicious <laughs> record we've ever done about a movie. Brutal. We both really fucking loathed and like really tore into it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's definitely has it's one of the worst ones I've seen this year for sure. And it's definitely has stuck around since February. Like that came out very early in the year and it has like really stuck around, kind of festered in a bad way, I think, for both of us. Um, and I know some people were kind of like, Oh, I don't know, it's like a Texas chainsaw massacre movie where there's a it takes place in Texas and there's a chainsaw massacre. I had fun with it. I'm like, all right, sure, whatever, man. Uh it, it's vile trash to me. I completely agree with you. And it also feels like so sloppily made. Like I found out after we did that record that like the big thing was there was a director who was hired for the first couple days who then bailed and there was like a big conflict on the set and they had to get like a new guy in very quickly. And they had to kind of like hastily put that movie back together. And it shows like even beyond like whatever offensive stuff that we had about it it is just like it's a poorly made movie. Well, look at Leatherface. I mean, the same thing happened with the third one. You know, they fired the same, they fired the director, brought somebody else in, didn't work, rehired the same guy. And it's just, it's a mess. But I actually like that movie for its messiness, which this one just, again, I didn't mean to cut you off, but 
I don't know no, that yeah. you've – I've never viciously gone against for like really like meant it uh, against a film before. And I haven't – I don't think I have sense. I've said things fucking suck and things like that, but I've never been like as angry and just deeply offended as I am. And I have never forgot it. Like I told you when I told you this is going to be my pick, you're like, wow, really? After 10 months, I was like, yeah, I fucking hate it. Dude. I fucking yeah. hate it. <laughs> 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 it's lingered i don't blame you necessarily no but then pearl i completely agree with i guess i'm not i wasn't as harsh on x i thought it was a bit overrated because it got so much like sort of like praise i think there's interesting elements to that movie but it's weird like the more that movie becomes a horror movie the less interested i am in it um and like some of the sexual politics stuff i think is interesting but then it goes fully into slasher like very underwhelming kills and stuff that i wasn't huge on but then pearl is like totally the opposite where it is both like a horror movie through and through but also this weird kind of like almost douglas cirque-esque like uh camp movie that we're talking about and i think it's a tremendous performance from goth but also just like the like you mentioned like the sort of technicolor look of it i think really works and is so unique for horror to reference like that era of filmmaking and have like the gore just be presenting like that, like what is supposed to be a version of like three strip Technicolor is like such a fascinating avenue to go. And Goth is like so good with like not just the nonverbal stuff with like the end credits, which I agree is like an all timer for recently, but that whole one shot monologue she gives is like one of the most like upsetting, when beautiful she's performances at, I've seen in a movie. When she's at the table with her cousin or yes. whatever. Yes. Oh, fuck, it's so good. So good. You could feel the cousin recoil because you're doing the same thing. Yep. You know, you're like, oh, this is getting really fucked up. Like, And they hold so, on her for like, it's almost, it's like, what, like seven minutes, I think? It's really I long. think it is. Yeah, I think it, it's, if it's not, it's damn near close. But yeah, it starts off, you're like, oh, man, you feel so bad for her. Oh, okay, well, oh, wait a minute, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a great movie for sure. Um. And then I have um, my good and bad choice. Uh, my good choice is Decision to Leave, uh, which is a film from uh, Park Chan-wook, who's a great South Korean director uh, who's done like a bunch of great stuff like uh, Old Boy and uh, The Handmaiden and Stoker. Tremendous uh, South Korean director. Uh, but he, this film um, is his sort of like very Hitchcockian thriller in which uh, we follow our main lead, um, who is a seasoned detective who's investigating this d- suspicious death of a guy like at a mountaintop. And uh, he comes face to face with uh, the main suspect, who is the wife uh, of that guy. And uh, they start to have sort of an attraction with each other. There's a bit of like a back and forth. I don't want to go into too much detail after that, because it's very much like a sort of mystery thriller, like I said, very Hitchcockian movie after that point. But it is such a great example of how he can take kind of like what could be a very traditional, like we've seen many like thrillers like this before and the kind of like, oh, the detective and the main suspect kind of have like a, a flirtation. But Park Chan-wook does such a great job of really making you immersed in like this whole like situation that you're like in the middle of with these two characters and you feel like that sexual tension and a lot of that fear and that worry about like one being caught and the other one kind of like being caught up in this and maybe completely destroying his like credibility as a detective and all this other stuff they do such a great job with that and also it's I think one of the best movies about like modern tech I've ever seen where it's a lot of like um, the, the main guy will be like looking at his text message thing and it'll be a lot of like perspectives like from the cell phone as you see him looking at like the ellipses as someone's writing out a text and doing all this other stuff like it's such a great movie about like modern technology with some of the best like transitions I've ever seen related to that. Uh, it, I feel like it's a movie that 
I think it's getting like a bit of Oscar buzz. It might get like a best international film nomination. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's kind of like been dismissed as like lesser Park Chan Wook, which I think is totally unfair. I think it is like an amazing movie. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody out there, especially, you know, if you want to get more into like foreign cinema stuff and maybe, you know, you saw uh, Parasite and it kind of interested you more in South Korean cinema. This is a great one to jump in on. Um, amazing performance from Tong Wei. People might know from like Lust Caution, a few other things. One of my favorite performances of the year from her in this movie as uh, the main, the wife character, I think is like one of the most subtle, nuanced performances I've seen from anybody this year. Um, great movie. And then my bad is one actually that I saw only a couple of days ago. Um, and is the A24 movie I mentioned. Uh, I'm talking about The Whale which is getting a lot of Oscar buzz for Brendan Fraser, who, you know, we did a Brendan Fraser episode a couple episodes ago. I'm a big fan of like him having a comeback and everything, but I really wish it wasn't all centered around the whale, which is this movie where Brendan Fraser plays a guy who is 600 pounds. And he's, you know, like this overweight English teacher uh, who has like severe obesity. And he's been kind of avoiding going to the hospital for a lot of reasons. And um, he ends up getting his estranged daughter comes back into his life. Um, and there's a lot of conflict about that. And I give a lot of credit. So I think Frazier is trying so hard to have a lot of empathy for that character. But the problem is that it's made by Darren Aronofsky, who is a guy that I traditionally like. He's a very divisive director for a lot of people. But this is genuinely, I think, his worst movie, not just because, like, you know, I'm a big guy and how this movie handles obesity, I think, has uh, some awful implications to it. But at the same time, it also just feels like a movie that doesn't know what it wants to do with that main character and feels like it's less like it's very mawkish is the word I've heard described for this movie. And I 100% agree with that, where it's trying to feign the idea of like, oh, we're very empathetic to Brendan Fraser's character. He's this, like, you know, we, we were trying to say like, oh, no, we have like so much empathy for this poor man and his situation. But constantly, every single character around him is so against his optimism and his attempts to like kind of like live and have like a genuine empathy for other characters that it paints him as like a self-destructive bad person, not just because of his overeating, but also just because he has like any kind of empathy for other characters because everyone else is so like awful and vile, like Sadie Sink, who's on stranger things and had like the, the fear street movies last year. I think she's a talented actress is sad with like one of the most vile, awful characters I've seen in the movie in a long time as his daughter. And there's other towns, people like Samantha Morton shows up. Hong Chow is like the main sort of like friend of Frazier's character who gives him some kind of medical treatment when he's not going to go to the hospital. But it just feels like it's this poorly filmed, stagey attempt at kind of trying to have like an Oscar drama that feels like everything you kind of hate about Oscar dramas, where it's just like it feels so melodramatic and has no actual understanding of like the bigger issue it's talking about. And a lot of like the twists and turns that go along with Frazier's character just makes it more and more of just like this vile, awful, like carnival show. More than it's like this, oh, this empathetic drama about this like big guy. It feels so much more about like, look at the fucking fat freak. Look at him. Point and laugh at his like big, ugly, fat face. And I just found it deeply upsetting and shitty and definitely one of the worst movies I've seen this year. Uh, I haven't seen either of yours. Uh, I'm definitely interested in your good choice. Uh, I really enjoy that director. And uh, I've seen like trailers for it. And I've even seen it pop up on a couple like best movies of the year that you haven't seen lists and things like that. Uh, sounds wonderful. looks great. Uh, so I'll definitely be seeking that one out. And um, as far as the whale goes, yeah, I'm, I haven't seen it. I'm happy. Brendan Fraser is sort of getting 
uh, you know, a, a reboot to his career. I heard he's fucking still pretty great in it. Um, I've heard pretty much all the things that you've said. Uh, I, I knew I was going to hate it uh, by the title alone. And then once you figure out, like, Brandon Frazier is the 600-pound, uh, isn't he gay in it, too? He's a homosexual. Oh, yeah, they also tie a lot of, like, the, his self-destructive habits into his queerness as the well, fact which that I thought queer, was deeply right, upsetting. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. ridiculous, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm in amazing shape. Uh, like if you, <laughs> He's the Donna's <laughs> folks. I saw him. Yeah, yeah, He's I, a, yeah, I'm fucking chiseled out of uh, marble. Uh, <laughs> you know, I look like Michelangelo's David. Um, but <laughs> it seemed offensive. It's felt Oscar Beatty from all the trailers and everything. Like, they know what they're he knew what the point of this was, what doing this was. Oh, it's been a passion project of his for years. I don't fucking care. Like, I don't care. Yeah, this thing might have been worked in 2015 or whatever the original stage production came out or, or whatever you want to call it. But now, like we said about Mufal, maybe uh, maybe reassess and be like, is this still something I should put out? Is this irresponsible? Is it, you know, has the landscape changed so much where this would be deemed offensive now? And uh, yeah. It is. Uh, it's not okay to fat shame. It never has been okay, but you know, it's it's been a long time since shallow hell, buddy. Uh, maybe not do this. Uh, well, especially it seems- when it's even worse for like at least shallow hell. For I don't I don't support what that movie does, but at least it's not terrible film. pretending about what it is. You know, we're just like, oh, we're going to make these obvious fat jokes. It's even worse when you have, like, the attempt at, like, oh, no, this is an empathetic story about this guy when you're not doing that. That's even worse to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I've heard Sadie Sink is a monster in it. Yep. And uh, that's unfortunate because she's a good actress. I, I'd argue she's the best actress to come out of Stranger Things. And I say it a lot because a couple of those kids are really fucking good. Uh well, David Harbour, but David Harbour was around before that. But so that, that, that Stranger Things little kid, he's got that little scamp on Stranger Things. A little boy, little, that little hopper. And um, little Winona Ryder, where would she yeah, come from? Yeah, right. Never seen her and, before. Yep, yeah, little 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 Matthew Modine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's unfortunate because I really do like her. And then, you know, that's the thing too. And I'll stop talking about it because obviously I haven't seen it. Uh, I really have no desire, especially after reading yours and front of the show, Scott Johnson's review. Um, it's just no thank you. Uh, but yeah, why why make a movie about, that's so fucking down on optimism and everything right now? Like, it just feels like the worst time to be like shutting people down for being optimistic or have seen the good in people and, and people treat them like shit because of it. And it's not even just because of that. Well, obviously, we know why. It's just fucking fuck off. Like, just fuck off. Well, I mean, fuck Aronofsky's off. at least like the thing is, I like that guy when he's able to. I like, like him he's too. Done that before, where like he's had characters who have like that sort of uh, optimism that's uh, unfortunately doesn't work for them. But when you compare that to like Ellen Burstyn in like Requiem for a Dream, who has like a similar kind of thing where she's attempting to be like extremely optimistic throughout all that horrible situation, it at least feels like there's a tragedy there, as opposed to like fuck you for having any kind of optimism about the world. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here, fatty. You fatty, fat, fat, fat. Go eat some pizza, which I heard about that, too. Yep, uh, he, eats, he binge eats pizza and puts grape jelly on it, because that's what fat people do. That's yep, what they fat. do. Yeah, it just it, it looked Oscar Beatty right off the bat. Like I said, good for Brendan Fraser, though. I hope he gets nominated. I hope he doesn't win, because then, the, then more movies like this will be made. Um, or the, the people will start to think, oh... Well, before, if they played Naturally Challenged, there was pretty much their guaranteed an Oscar nom or 
gay, but if we make them fat and gay, then they'll definitely get a nomination. Because that's how, unfortunately, movie studios think. This movie has already got enough buzz where I guarantee there's three more movies at least in the pipe about a fat guy, a fat, reclusive person. Um, and it's unfortunate. Uh, so, yeah, I hope he gets nominated. Hope he doesn't win. I hope it doesn't go any further. Yeah, I just hope it allows him to do better movies. Good yep. movies after this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody out there um, in case they uh, want to you know, jot them down and put them on their watch list. Adam? Uh, yeah, for my good, I had Pearl. And for my bad, I had Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. And for my good, I had Decision to Leave. And for my bad, I had The Whale. Hey, you know what, though? If Brendan Fraser gets nominated wins, we might see Batgirl because of it. It's David Zaslav's not going to let that out. That's going to cost him too much money. When that motherfucker's just like, oh, you know what's too expensive to have, like, half of the Looney Tunes library on there? Let's get rid of that. That's not a guy who's going to release that shit. I mean, that's true. But... Uh, as we uh, get to the end here, we'll be picking our movies for next week's episode, so stay tuned for that. We want to thank some people out there, like uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at Night of Water, that's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, uh, on various socials for all his great stuff. And uh, thanks to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to do stuff like vote in polls and listen to bonus podcasts we put out, uh, at least one a month on there. And uh, this month, you'll be getting some interesting stuff. Like, one, this week we're putting out this episode, you get to vote for one of my good picks uh, for an upcoming episode we're doing next month uh, for Valentine's Day where we're doing an episode about doomed romances, where basically just movies in which uh, the main couple doesn't get together for some reason, whether it be, you know, tragedy or just didn't work out between the two of them. Um, and my two picks for that you get to vote between are uh, Once, the Irish uh, sort of like music drama uh, from 2007, and then uh, the most recent uh, movie from uh, Norway, uh, the, wor- the Worst Person in the World, which had a lot of Oscar nomination stuff last year. Yeah, I know you're big on that one, uh, so I'm pushing for that one. I've kind of held held off on it because I knew eventually you were going to find a way to get that on the show, or at least try to. So, uh, yeah, I've been holding off on that one, but so I kind of hope that one gets picked. Yeah, though I'll just say, Adam, once it's taken like a full out like musical number movie, it's about two musicians. Okay, all right then. All right, here we are. and you said it's Irish. Yes. All right, then yeah, pick that. Of course, what the hell. I mean, whichever choice the patrons vote on, we will cover. Let's go with the Irish. Let's do the Irish. The luck of the Irish, yes, of course. That's that's going to make it win. Uh, Fight me! Oh, oh, man, I'm sorry. Is someone playing Banshees of Inishirin in the background? Yeah. Is that Barry Keoghan? (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God. And you know, we'll wrap the show in a minute. But the next day after we watched it for the, so what was that, yesterday, New New Year's Eve, all morning, I was doing that accent, driving my wife crazy. (laughs) <laughs> I did it all morning. What are you doing in the kitchen? Where are you going? She's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with you? What are you talking about? This is how I talk. What's up? And uh, also, um, not too long after this episode comes out, we're planning on putting out um, a commentary track, which will be the bonus episode for January, uh, because next week is a Friday the 13th, and uh, we are doing a commentary on the 2009 Friday the 13th remake, uh, which Adam and I are uh, very big defenders of. Absolutely. I think it's one of the best of the series. 
Yeah, just one of the better, I would argue, uh, horror remakes in general. Yep, I agree. Top tier, top tier material. Yes, yes, and we'll talk all about that, and you can watch along with us for that. And uh, I also just wanted to put out an update about the Patreon, uh, where recently Patreon updated their billing system, and uh, where basically before, if you joined on Patreon, uh, you would always be charged at the first of the month, no matter when you joined, even if it was like you know the end of the previous month the you would get billed on the first um but the difference is now uh whenever you sign up from now on if you become a new patron which we encourage obviously for just the one dollar uh you will get billed on um the the initial sign up and then the uh a month from that date so for example if you sign up on january 10th you will get billed then and then billed again on the 10th of february so um if you sign up that's how it's going to change but if you're a regular patron already you are still being billed on the first of the month so just, uh, you know, another incentive where, like, if you've held off, I'm like, oh, I want to join, but it's like, you know, the 31st, I just have to wait until, like, the next month to do it. Uh, that is not a problem anymore. So please sign up and you'll get billed in that new system. Yeah, do it. For more of us, uh, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at DEDBpod. Uh, and you can also submit feedback to us at DoubleEdgeDevilBill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, find me on Twitter and Letterboxd is at not the who's Tommy. And you also do some writing at uh, film-cred.com and over at uh, my blog, marianitomas.wordpress.com, which I haven't written too many reviews over the last year, but I'll definitely be putting up my usual top 20 list in the next couple weeks. Uh, so stay tuned for that to hear all about my absolute favorites of the year. And you can find me on Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Or you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And uh, I'll probably put together a top 20 list to uh, throw out somewhere. You know, though, by the way, you me- we mentioned like sort of the top 20s and angles of that. Um, stay tuned on the Patreon because we're not technically done talking about 2022 movies yet. Uh, around Oscar time, we have a little thing we're cooking up. Stay tuned yeah. on the Patreon for that. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, it's but, dumb. The name is dumb. The name's really dumb. I can't wait but to reveal great. it. <laughs> it's the best. It's so amazing. Uh, but uh, for more of our uh, general antics off the Patreon on the main feed, you can uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows? on the network and uh, you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for over like 200 episodes uh before we joined talk film society and nothing else if you can't support us on the patreon that's cool money can always be tight the completely free way to help us out is to rate review or simply share the show around because it gets us more visibility out there yeah like you said it's free so what the fuck what do you want what else you want now, if you want us to we'll start sending out little cards where you'll get a stamp every time you share it. You know, what the fuck? <laughs> you get five, you get a free subway sandwich. <laughs> yeah, which, which that'll kill you quicker than a bullet. So it's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, uh, let us move on, Adam, to our picking for next week's episode. We do this at the end of every episode, where um, each of us has either two good or two bad movies to switch up on the quality uh, related to a topic. Um, and you have the two bad and I have the two good for this topic that's coming up. And uh, the way we sort of do this is uh, Adam and I have our two picks and we assign them between one and ten for the two of them. And the other person will pick a number between one and ten for the other person's choices. And they'll be like, oh, I'm going to pick number seven. And the other person who has the choices will be like, okay, that's closest to number six, which is this particular movie that gets us our good and our bad feature that way. But 
keep in mind the Godfather rule is still there uh, for one of us, in which uh, this rule where Adam and I were given a veto um, back in May of last year, and uh, we'll be given another one uh, come our anniversary in May again, uh, where basically it's a use it or lose it thing where the veto, uh, if we hear a choice that we pick and we're like, actually, I don't want to cover that one. I'll take the cannoli and thus that choice is gone. And we have to go with whatever other choice is there on the table. I've used my veto already. Adam still has his. He has to use it by May. I'm very curious what will be the final straw. If he does, you know, he could just not use it, but it disappears forever. He can't yep. use it again. Yep. And hopefully I will also disappear forever. No, I don't want to disappear I, I don't, forever. I don't wanna, I'm tired of doing this fucking show. Great start to the year. Um, but now we have to do our picking. <laughs> <laughs> my new, that was my New Year's resolution. Fuck you, Thomas. <laughs> well, I guess it's his last episode, everybody. I'll be doing the show solo now. It'll be a very sad affair. Yeah, uh, you'll, but... get, you'll get Christian Alvarez, a fucking prick. <laughs> I'm sure he'll sub in. But, Adam, you have the two good choices. I have the two bad choices for this uh, topic, which in honor of Megan... It's the first big release of 2023. I'm very excited oh for that dumb bullshit. I can't wait. It looks so dumb, but I, I, I'm kind of like here for it. Like, this looks so stupid, yet why do I want to see it so bad? Look, it's from the screenwriter Malignant. That's all they had to say. I'm very excited. Oh, for big seller. Yep. Yep. And yep, for, for sure. sure. Yes. But uh, Adam... For your two good choices for uh, Killer AI, which is the topic uh, related to Megan, uh, I'm going to pick number three in honor of Megan with a three in the title. Oh, I'm going with something uh, number two that has a two in the title. Uh, Probably one of the most famous instances. Uh, Even if people haven't seen it, they know it. Uh, They even know the line, uh, you know. They know the name of the AI. They know all of it. Uh, we have Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow. I didn't expect that. I didn't. I, I thought you weren't a huge fan of that one. That's interesting. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I mean, it's. I, I feel like it's one of those that on a rewatch nowadays with my tastes the way they are, that I might be pretty plus on it. So I figured why not go for it? All right. Sure. Very excited for that. But uh, what was your other choice, Adam? At number nine, I had the 80s classic, which is still a great movie and holds up, and even a little bit more prescient today, I had the Matthew Broderick War Games. I've never seen War Games, actually. Good movie. Hmm. I'll uh, have to to make sure I see that at some point. But You're going to watch every fucking AI movie before we even get to the episode, (laughs) so I'm sure you'll see it. (laughs) I did my extensive research for the episode. Um, uh, You know, I'm good Genesis is really not that bad of a name when you think about it. <laughs> well, Adam, for my two oh, bad choices, <laughs> please pick a number between one and ten. Uh, I'll go number... Let's go right to the end. Number ten. Okay. Ryan the Dot number ten is a movie that we've both watched together and was kind of a oh, weird, fuck. interesting blind spot movie that we hadn't seen before that we were very entertained by. Uh, oh, okay. I have... The weird, bizarre, funny, bad movie from 1988, Death Spa. <laughs> I love Death Spa. So Hell yeah. Much. <laughs> uh, there, Which does no have a killer way. AI in it, but also a lot of other weird shit in it. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of weird shit. Uh, yeah, there's no way I'm taking the goalie on that. I can't wait to rewatch Death Spa. Yes. 
Well, let's, uh, definitely, we would recommend all of you also watch. It's on Tubi as yeah, when we're yeah. recording this. It's a perfect you know, Tubi movie. What, Tubi's like the best streaming service around, I think. It's so good. So much fun shit on there. Um, but it's very funny, Adam. On the other side of things, over at number three, uh, you mentioned the title kind of briefly there. I had Terminator Genesis. Yep. Would have gotten the cannoli. Would have gotten it. As soon as I said Genesis, I went, oh, fuck. Have I just <laughs> doomed myself? Have you evoked? <laughs> yeah, if I evoked the spirit of Genesis. <laughs> oh, man, you mean Matt Smith plays a shitty villain in a movie? No. Name five other examples from very recently. <laughs> name five other. Name, name one this year that was released twice. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, you know, two pinnacles of cinema next time. 2001 A Space Odyssey and Death Spa. Yeah. And all yeah. that next time. But until then, everybody... Uh, have a happy, safe, and hopefully tolerable 2023. Yeah, hopefully productive in any way, physically, mentally, financially. Good luck. <laughs>